Hey, everybody. How you doing? Welcome. Welcome, everybody, online. Welcome, uh, Facebook Live. Uh, Kim's on there and Nancy. They're sharing prayer requests on there right now. Tina, Donna, Rosemary, good to see you guys all. Um, glad to have you with us on Facebook Live, Parkview Live. Welcome at our Orland campus. If you're watching another campus, we're glad to have you here. Um, I, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for being such an awesome church. Like, if you didn't get to hear Montel Jordan last weekend and his wife, Kristen, you ought to go back online. If you know some people, you know, that are especially like, you know, in the 90s R&B, and they, they, I mean, send them the link. I mean, if they don't have Jesus, it, it, might be the, it might be the thing that just like brings them along. But I say that because like afterwards, Montel was like, dude, I loved your church. I want to come back and preach there. I'm like, okay, man, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, but, but that happens all like every time I bring in a guest preacher, they're like, oh man, I love your place. I mean, it's like they all want my job. I don't, I don't, I mean, Todd's obvious, but you know, I mean, everybody, I mean, it's just like, and I just say that because that means that you guys are a great audience. You're a great church. And I, I, I don't want to take it for granted either. I love being here and nobody can have my job. So we're talking about anxiety and we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about it because it's striking a chord with you in ways that I didn't really realize. Um, I found out that anxiety is the number one health issue among women and the number two health issue in the U S among men only behind drugs and alcohol. And my theory is that men are just masking their anxiety with drugs and alcohol. Dilly dilly. Okay, you're getting better. I I just realized, you know, that people don't watch commercials anymore. So some of you ladies, especially, you know, you don't, what what is he talking about? It doesn't matter. Oftentimes, the biggest battles that we have going on are not the ones that people can see. I mean, that's probably almost always true, right? We're walking around on the outside and everything seems okay. And we're posting stuff on Instagram and it's hashtag bless and everything is okay. Because I don't really let people see what's going on on the inside. But on the inside, evidently, a lot of us are feeling anxious. We're feeling worried. We're feeling insecure. There's a lot of what ifs going on in in our world. And so the story, in case you're new, um, is that I went on a three-month sabbatical and I thought my three-month sabbatical was just going to be about rest and, you know, listening to God. And instead, as I'll illustrate for you a little bit, having an empty mind for a while um, started filling up with anxiety. And it was not rational, it was, it was just bizarre, and, and, and yet it was real to me. And I realized that I needed to come back and preach about it. So I hope you'll be back next weekend. I'm going to do a, a vision message for our church that I think will really help you to understand where our church was going. I'm going to do the message that I was going to do when I came back. Um, you know, like, here's where we're going. Here's what God's telling us about what we're going to do as a church. I just, I just kind of pulled an audible and said, wait a minute, I'm in a place of anxiety. I need to preach about anxiety. So that's what we're doing. Research tells us that 31% of adults in the U.S. will experience some kind of an anxiety disorder at some point during their life. Okay, not just a general anxiety like what I had, but 31%. That means like one-third of your friends are going to have some kind of a, you know, panic attack, some anxiety disorder thing going on. That means one-third of your friends, you know, are in that group, and it may be your fault, so you should think about that. But here's what you need to know, okay? Here's what you need to know. You're not alone, okay? If I could could grab every one of you by the side of your face and, and talk to you directly, You're not alone. You should not have to work through this alone. 
And I don't care if you're watching online, I don't care if you're in Australia or whatever, we want to be there to help you. And as a church, you're a part of our church wherever you are. Please let us know. Email us, call us, talk to your small group, get in a small group, fill out a card and put it at your campus on the way out. Go to a Next Steps booth at your campus and talk to somebody and get some help because we want to help you with this. This is a serious deal. And, of course, there's other therapy things that you can do. I mean, you know, adult coloring is a deal now. Did you know that? Um, my friend Lori sent me this. I thought it was great. <laughs> it's working good, right? That's working really well. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about how the United States are the champions of anxiety more than any other country. This just doesn't make any sense to me. You would think that in a developing country that lives on less than $2 a day and doesn't know where their next meal is coming from, that those people would be the ones who are anxious. But that's not true. And what's actually fascinating that I haven't told you is that when people from a developing country move to the U.S., their anxiety goes up. I got my friend from Malawi down here, Chico, and we've been, you know, talking about things, what we're doing in Malawi. I mean, if you moved here, you'd get more anxious, so you just need to stay in Malawi, man. I'm telling you. That, that just doesn't make any sense. In the U.S. even, we're three times more likely to have anxiety and depression than the generation before us. How is that possible? We are the most prosperous and the safest nation that has ever existed on the face of the planet. Medical care is better than it's ever been. People are living longer than they ever have. And we're the safest country we've ever been and anybody has ever been. I mean, think about your cars, right? I mean, hardly anybody with a newer model car doesn't have a backup camera now. I don't even have to turn around. I can just look right there and see where I'm backing up. Some of our cars have steering wheels that vibrate if you get out of the lane or there's a, there's a thing on your blinker that tells you if there's a car over there. Some of our cars can parallel park themselves. I mean, why would we have anxiety? The generation before us didn't have seat belts. How many of you, raise your hand, all of our campuses did, do you remember when there weren't seat belts in your cars, right? We just slid around back there. <laughs> I know this is hard for you young people to believe, but not only that, but the seats weren't made out of leather and they weren't made out of cloth back then. They were made out of plastic. Vinyl is just another word for plastic. I don't know if you understand that. And my dad was OCD, so he always had armor all on him, you know? <laughs> Wiping them down, it's like olive oil on your seat. We're just, boom. My sister and I were just hoping the door didn't bang open while we are going back and forth. How, how is this possible? We didn't have bike helmets when we were growing up. Did you have a bike helmet? I mean, can you imagine being the first kid to show up in your neighborhood with a bike helmet? <laughs> Timmy, what you got on your head? Well, it's a bike helmet. Yeah, I mean, that would have gone well. Obviously, I've had concussions. What else would explain me? Come on. I set up a trampoline for my grandkids in Nashville so they'd leave their poor mom alone with the new baby. It had not one but two safety nets around it. No more falling off. Where's the fun in that? I don't, <laughs> no more riding the spring pony when you miss it, you know. Boing, oh, it doesn't happen anymore. And yet we are three times more anxious than the generation before us. How is that possible? Our kids are really feeling it, you guys. I mean, joking aside, trampoline nets and bike helmets aside, our preteens and our teens, it's by far the number one problem that they've got going on. So what are we going to do? 
Jesus said, don't worry. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. But, but what are we going to do about it? I mean, we do have the answer. I, I don't know if you know this, but the Prince of Peace is going to be born in a few weeks. Maybe you've already seen some decorations up. But how do we live there? How can we find the peace of God that transcends all understanding? That's what we've been talking about. And again, I would, I would encourage you to go back and, and watch the ones if you haven't seen them all because it all goes together. And here's what the deal is. Anxiety at its core is a loss of control. It's a perceived loss of control. Control gives you calm. A lack of control gives you fear. If we're uncertain about the outcome, we feel restless, we feel troubled, and Jesus did say, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's why we have to deal with trusting God part. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. Not just, you know, rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord because he's in control. But this control thing was interesting. I've read several studies on this. And in one study, um, they studied World War II soldiers when they came back, World War II vets. Um, there are, you know, very few of them around anymore. But what they found is that the fighter pilots, when they came back, had the highest level of, 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 of mental care. 93% of fighter pilots coming back from World War II said they would re-enlist. 93%. Half the fighter pilots didn't come home from World War II. But 93% said that they would re-enlist. It's fascinating. My, my wife's uncle is 97. He was a World War II fighter pilot. He was in this flight school. He's got a picture on his wall, flight school with John Glenn and Chuck Yeager. Those of you old enough to remember those, remember those names, he was in flight school with them. He came back. A lot of them didn't. They had 93% wheel sign-up rate as opposed to the ground troops who had a lot more mental issues and didn't want to go back. And they started studying it. And you know what they figured out? The pilots had a perceived sense of control, right? They had a little bit of control over what they're doing. And the ground troops didn't. They went with their buddies and the bombs came from wherever they went to. And, and, and even though the, 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 the injury rate and the death rate was higher among the pilots, they had something in their hands. That, that's the difference, okay? And you don't have to go to war to figure that out. A German psychologist I read recently discovered that one hour in intense traffic will increase the odds of a heart attack by three times. Three times, okay? Why? Because you can be the best driver since Ricky Bobby, but you can't control the guy next to you who's reading his text messages while he's driving. There's a sense of a loss of control. If you're in an hour of traffic on the Dan Ryan, you've got three times more likely to have a heart attack. That's why this is such an important thing, okay? And here's where we've been going with this. Uh, again, great book, Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado, my friend. I'd love for you to read it. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Here's what we've been doing. We've been talking about calm, and we're spelling it out, okay? C is for celebrate. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. He is near. That's what's important. He doesn't have to yell at us because he's only always here. Week two, we ask, be anxious for nothing, but in what? In everything, no matter what's going on in your life, Everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So we ask, and we talked about, well, we got to get specific about it, right? Because if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And we talked in this week about getting to the bullseye. The three words for prayer are prayer and petition, 
present your requests to God. That's about getting to the bolt. That's about getting specific about what it is. Sometimes just getting specific about what it is will help you anyway, but it'll definitely help you in your prayer life. Week three, list. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, right? This is what's so important. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. And I talked about the quickest route to double down on anxiety is to double down on gratitude. Gratitude and anxiety cannot occupy the same space at the same time. It's just not possible. We're going to talk about that right here. And I want to encourage you to sign up for the 21 days of Thanksgiving thing that we're doing, okay? Just go to, that web, go to our website, sign up for the 21 days. You'll be given uh, for 21 days. Obviously, you'll be given a bunch of things that you can be thankful for, some, some things for you to meditate on and do all that kind of stuff, put it together. So here's how we make it all happen, okay? We celebrate, we ask, we list, and we meditate. That's what we're going to talk about today. We meditate, and that gives us the calm, okay? Before we jump in... I need to remind you, in case you're new, Paul is writing this from prison, from a Roman prison. This is the time of Nero throwing the Christians to the lions, okay? And and Paul is the number one target because he used to be a Christian killer. So Paul is under arrest. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. And not only that, but we know from reading Paul's other letters that the churches that he's started are having all kinds of problems. I don't know if you know this, but churches are a mess. They really are because they're full of people. And so Paul's churches that he started, there's these false teachers that have come in, and they're people that are trying to get everybody to go back to being a Jew and get everybody circumcised before they become Christians. And, and they're accusing Paul of profiteering on top of it, you know, and it was just, just, just silly stuff going on. So he's worried about the churches. He's in Rome. He's in prison. He may get thrown to the lions. And he's 60 years old. Okay? I mean, no comment. That's all I can say. He's old. He's worn out. I saw a sign the other day. It said, you know you're getting old when getting lucky means you found your car in the parking lot. <laughs> I mean, age 60 at that point was like, that was end of life expectancy. That would have been like 85 today, okay? His vision was bad. We know this. He, he's got health issues. He, he's been beaten by... Roman whips multiple times. He's been stoned in a bad way multiple times. He's been left for dead. He's weary from all of the travel that's been going on, and he is absolutely a mess. So you would think that he would write to the churches, and and it would be like, man, this is really bad. My life really sucks. I can't believe all this stuff is going on. But instead, Philippians is known as the, the letter of joy the book of the Bible about joy. And he says, it's it's, it's possible for you to be anxious for nothing. You need all that. Is it possible for us? Yes, but it takes a change in our attitude, okay? It's like the classic line, Max Licato wrote about this, the classic line from Jaws back in the 70s, okay? Remember that movie? Um, and, and, and the three main characters haven't seen the shark yet. And one of the, the captain finally is like throwing out chummies. You're trying to get the shark to come. And, and he sees the shark just come by for a brief moment. And I just got to say, if you haven't seen that for a while, just, just YouTube that scene because the shark is so dorky looking now. <laughs> I mean, it feels like that ride at Disneyland, I promise you. I mean, back then it was like, whoa, that's really cool. But 
uh, thankfully, special effects have come a long way because it, it looks really, really dumb. So, so he sees the shark, and what does he do? You all know what I'm talking about. And he backs in. The other guys haven't seen it yet. And he turns to the other guy in the boat, and he says, we're going to need a bigger boat. One of the classic lines in cinematic history. We're going to need a bigger boat. Is it possible to have the peace of God that transcends all understanding? Yeah, but you're going to need a bigger boat. Or maybe you're going to need a little bit more faith in the boat you already have. Now, watch what Paul does as he moves on into the M for us, into meditate. And look at what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Meditate about these things. And then he says it one more time. And I promise you, the God of peace will be with you. Here's what's interesting, okay? Think about, meditate, that word in, in your Bibles, think about, is logizomai. Guess what word we get from logizomai? Logic, Right? So Paul is saying, okay, on top of all the stuff I've told you, celebrate who's in control, ask specifically, list the things you're thankful for, and use your brain, okay? Use your brain. Figure this out. Hello, McFly. you got to use your brain. Paul is saying you got to use logic and reason to battle anxiety. And this is something that I, I really wasn't getting when I was going through it in my own life. Let me give you a little biology, okay? Neurologists tell us that there are different parts of our brain that control the different things that go on, okay? One of them is the amygdala. Okay, the amygdala, that's fun to say. It's a small but powerful section deep in our brain that controls the emotional stuff that goes on, okay? The, uh, another part of our brain is the prefrontal cortex, which is located, obviously, in the front of the brain. And these two parts of the brain are supposed to work together, okay? So when you get scared by something, your amygdala immediately starts sending signals and chemicals to the rest of your body, right? You know this, that's the amygdala, and it sends us into fight or flight. You've heard of that, right? I'm either going to run or I'm going to, you know, i got to do something, okay? The problem is that little thing is not objective at all. That little thing is just the, 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 the alarm system. Its goal is to protect us. That's all there is to it. So what's supposed to happen is that the prefrontal cortex is supposed to kick in with logic and help us to figure out whether we should really be scared or not, Okay? You, so example, you go to a haunted house and you walk around the corner and here's a guy in a hockey mask and a chainsaw going, your amygdala goes, ah, this is not good. I saw that movie. It doesn't turn out well. Until your prefrontal cortex goes, oh, I forgot. I'm so dumb. I paid money to go get scared and I'm in a haunted house. I, mean, I, I don't get you people. I really don't. Okay. Uh, you want to have the experience as it is, you, you walk out on that glass platform at the Sears Tower, the Willis Tower, and you will feel the battle in your brain happen, right? You, you will feel it. You know, your prefrontal cortex will be like, well, lots of people stand out here. It's really safe. And your amygdala will go, it's way down there. This is what I'm talking about. And here's the problem. Fear sees the threat and decides what to do and then moves on, okay? Anxiety imagines a threat and therefore can't move on. 
The problem with anxiety is if we allow the thoughts to linger, they put us in a constant state of worry, in a constant state of fight or flight. And it becomes completely irrational. Reminds me of a story of a woman who was just irrationally afraid of a burglar breaking in. And she, was just, she made her husband do all kinds of things to, to, to try to make her house safe. And she was just, every time she went to bed at night, she was worried that there was going to be a burglar. Finally, one night, she hears a noise. She sends her husband down. Sure enough, there's a burglar. There was a burglar down there. And the husband said, oh, thank God. You're here. Can you come upstairs and meet my wife? She's been talking about you for 10 years. It's just irrational, okay? And again, the prison of anxiety is unavoidable, but the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. You've got to decide. So what do we have to do? We have to retrain our brain. Neuroscientists tell us that what happens over time is the emotional side of our brain, the amygdala, starts creating these neurological pathways that make it harder and harder for the prefrontal cortex to kick in. In other words, our anxiety is literally rewiring our minds, digging ruts in our minds. So what happens to many of us is just like your bodies, when you don't work out, your muscles atrophy. And when you allow anxiety to rule in your mind over time, it's, it's going to just dig ruts and it's going to, going, to, going to be harder and harder to get out of it. But your mind is pliable. Research shows that you can retrain your mind. Now, please, again, don't hear me saying you should just fix yourself and you'll be okay. Uh, If you haven't heard any of this along the way, my grandmother had uh, severe uh, mental issues and depression all of her life. My father and his two sisters, my sister and my daughters are all on medication. And I I just want to tell you that. I think it's important. They've all told me it's okay to say that. that We are all glad they're on medication. My son-in-laws are really glad for medication. So I'm just going to say that. You, You need medication, get professional help if you think you need it, okay? Don't hear me saying, well, you just need to think better and everything's going to be okay. Go to a counselor, go to a psychologist, please, if you think you need it, get professional help. But Paul is telling us in Philippians 4 that we can become better air traffic controllers of what goes into our mind, okay? that help you? Better air traffic controllers. You can control what you allow to go in there. In other words, let me make it simple. You need to think about what you need to think about, okay? Because not every thought is worth thinking about. This is deep. You may need to take a picture, okay? You need to think about what you think about because not everything's worth thinking about. So how should I retrain my mind? Paul says, well, here's your list. What is true? Not imaginary, not what if, what is true? That one probably got me right off the bat in my anxiety. What is noble? Okay, worthy of thinking about. What is right, consistent with God's word? What is wholesome? What is pure? I mean, that, that's what you should think about. What is lovely? I mean, this is a lot of different ways of saying the same thing, right? Pleasing to think about. What is admirable, worthy of my thoughts? And, and then he kind of sums it up. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about those things. And the, the King James word on this, think about legisomai, is meditate, okay? We see A-L-M, meditate. And, and the problem is meditation is a weird word for some people. 
You know, sort of like, oh, is that, is that Eastern meditation? Meditation's in the Bible. The difference between what the Bible tells us and what Eastern religion tells us is that Eastern religion tells us that we should empty our mind. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do yoga sometimes. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with emptying your mind. I'm telling you that you better fill it up with something else, okay? Every verse in Scripture is about filling up our mind as we meditate. The psalmist said, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In other words, to battle anxiety... You don't empty your mind. You fill it with what is good. Let me illustrate this. Uh, my friend Ashley Woolridge did this in, at CCV in Phoenix, and I thought it was brilliant. Think of this jar as your mind, okay? This is your mind. And we know we don't have control over everything that flies over our mind, okay? So what happens is when the anxiety starts to set in, what starts to happen is I start, I start doing the what-ifs, Right? What if I lose my job? What if something horrible happens to my kids? What if my spouse leaves me? What if the people find out I'm not who they think I was? What if I never overcome this anxiety? What if, what if I never find real love? What if all those things start coming and they start to fill up my mind? And if I allow myself to dwell on those, they start drilling a, a, a hole. They start making a pathway <coughs> into my mind, excuse me, in a way that makes it just easier for more things to come in, okay? And you realize you can't live this way. You realize your mom used to say, garbage in, garbage out, right? You realize all that stuff. So what do we do? Well, you, you empty your mind. Sure, that's great. You need to empty your mind. But can you really leave your mind empty? Some of you ladies are like, have you met my husband? No, I... <laughs> I mean, it, it gets the thought every once in a while, okay? It's impossible to have your mind empty. Something's going to fill that space. So if you aren't intentional, guess what's going to happen? Satan's going to be right there. He's going to start wanting to pour stuff in again. So what do you do? Paul says, hold it, hold it. You start filling your mind with something else. You start filling your mind with whatever is true and whatever is lovely and whatever is noble and whatever is right and whatever is pure. And if anything is excellent or praiseworthy and you fill your mind up with that, this is why the gratitude list is so important for you to go back and look at it over and over. What am I thankful for? What are the true things that are already going on in my life? That's why I list them, right? Gratitude crowds out anxiety. And, and look at this. The more of that good stuff you have in your mind, the less room there is for the bad stuff and the what-ifs when they come along. Because they're going to come along, but if there's no room in there, it's not going to matter. Let, let me talk to you specifically, okay? Don't tell me, well, you don't understand, Tim. My anxiety is, is so deep. I've, I, my, the, the, the ruts in my brain are already carved. Listen to me. By saying that, by saying that it's not possible, you're just adding more of the, uh, of the stuff that you don't want in there. Anxiety is deeply spiritual. And if you feel that way, please get medical help and try to do something about it. And go to a counselor and get some help because you can retrain your mind. If you've allowed anxiety to be in your mind for a long time, there's some strongholds that are going to take a while to get out. So be patient. It may mean getting some of the good stuff in and getting some of the bad stuff out a little bit at a time. That's going to happen. 
And some of you would say, I just don't think I could do it. But you're just putting the, the, the wrong sand back in the jar. What you need is a bigger boat. Let's go back there. What you need is faith in the bigger boat that you already have. I mean, can you imagine those guys in Jaws if they were on a battleship looking down at that really fake-looking, you know, great white shark and being scared? They'd be like, is that a shark? I don't know. It might be a dolphin. I can't even tell because it's so far down there. And it would be really messed up if they were afraid of a shark on a battleship. And if you're a Christian, you have God's spirit living inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul said, is alive in you. Listen to what Paul says we can do with our thoughts. This is a verse you should definitely memorize. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We take captive every thought. I'm going to grab that thought before it flies in, before it lands on my head, and I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to make it obedient to Christ. I love that verse. Paul says it's possible to retrain your mind. And the word captive there is literally like with a weapon. It's not just I'm going to grab that thought. It's literally with a weapon. That's what the definition of the Greek word would have been. And you're like, well, what kind of weapon do I have? Well, there's only one that's listed when we get the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And guess what it is? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon that we have is the only offensive weapon that we really need. That's why Satan works so hard to keep you out of it. So what should I be constantly doing? I should be filling my mind with what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, those are the things I'm going to allow to land and go into my jar. And what I know today is that God is given, getting a hold of some of your hearts and saying, hey, maybe you can do this. And, and I want you to hear this. You can't control every thought that flies into your mind, but you can control the ones you allow to land. It's your mind. And maybe for too long you have allowed your mind to be filled with anxiety and, and chaos. And Paul says, nope, don't let it happen. Take it captive. One lie at a time. The evil one tells you, oh, you're, you're very weak. You, you think in your mind there's a thought that comes in, oh, I'm just so weak. That's a lie. Scripture says when I'm weak, he makes me strong. Well, but... Uh, um, I think I'm always going to be alone. No, that's a lie. The truth is he will never leave you or forsake you. Well, I just think I'm worthless. No, that's a lie. You're a child of God. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. God sent his son because he loves you that much. Well, I don't, I don't think I'll ever be a good parent. You don't need, that's a lie. You don't need to be a good parent. You need to point your kids to the, to the parent that they have, to the only perfect parent that ever existed. You, you say, oh, I'm, I'm just not attractive. Nobody's ever going to love me. That's a lie. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the scripture tells you. You say, oh, I don't, I don't have what it takes. That's a lie. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to accomplish what it wants to accomplish in your life. 
I just don't think I can ever get out of this anxiety. No, that's a lie. Philippians 4 says you can rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near. Philippians 4 says you can have the peace that transcends all understanding, that you don't even understand how it got there. That is there for you. How do you do that? You stay in God's word. That's that's why you do that. You you get in a group and you got people around you. You serve with us and with the people. You come and you get involved in a church. And if not here, you get involved somewhere. And you go be with people where God can speak the good stuff into your life. And speak truth into your life. Will it change overnight? No, it's not going to change overnight. Have you ever gotten out of shape? (laughs) It doesn't change overnight, right? You don't go to the gym for, you know, three days and all of a sudden you're like, oh, dang, I look pretty good. Not if you're really looking in the mirror. It's going to take some time. But you have the ability of renewing and rewiring your mind. Maybe you need to put that list from Philippians 4 verse 8 up on the mirror every morning to look at. Maybe it needs to be a screensaver on your laptop or your phone. Let me, let me just summarize this for you and help you to understand how we get to calm. We celebrate the goodness of God, rejoice in the Lord, he is near. We ask specifically, request what you need. We list all the good stuff so that our mind is filled up with it. And we meditate on the things that are good so that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that there is a God who loves us and that we do have control over the amygdala in our brain. And we used to learn to use that model, and all of a sudden, it can transform your life. And all of a sudden, you may wake up one day and find the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Because it's not just going to be there. It's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to talk about this. And I think I can say... In sincerity, thank you for the weird period of anxiety that I experienced. And I know that it's not going to go away forever. And those, those crazy amygdala problems are going to come back. And I'm going to have to struggle with things along the way. And, and I get all that. I thank you for the people that helped me through all of those things. And Lord, I pray for the people who are here. Maybe they're like me, just a, just a weird unrest season of anxiety for them. Will you help them to understand the peace of God today? Help them to understand that that we have control over some of these things. And Lord, for those people that are listening to me right now, that they're at the end of their rope, they really don't know how they're going to make it through. Will you help them to find some professional help? Help them to reach out to us. We want to help them, Lord. Help them to know that even if the ruts are deep in their mind, that it can be retrained, it can be redug. And we pray for peace as we enter into this weird season where we celebrate the Prince of Peace and it makes us the least peaceful we ever are. Um, will you give us the kind that surpasses all comprehension? We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.